0: Uh, It's been quite the month and it's been wonderful that we um, started off with Philip Yancey joining us and of course we were down at kickoff down at the lake and baptized 23 uh, people which was fantastic and had a wonderful time there. And It's my great pleasure to introduce uh, Jeff and Kay Lucas. Uh, Jeff Lucas uh, is a writer, a speaker, a pastor, is a Teaching pastor at Timberline Church in Fort Collins, uh, an amazing church that has grown from several hundreds to close to ten thousand. It's been a real blessing. I first met Jeff when I was eighteen years old, a young evangelist preaching. We both spent uh, many years, in perhaps probably a decade and a half, working at a Christian conference called Spring Harvest uh, every Easter. Uh, tens of thousands of Christians would gather throughout the Easter period and through those years in the um, 90s and into the thousands we, we saw God revive the British church and, and Jeff was a key leader in that movement and we saw where the church was so lost its passion in the United Kingdom it, um, this conference enabled us once again to re-equip and retrain uh, the church in the United Kingdom. So it was um, a great pleasure when Jeff agreed to come and speak to us. I know he'll come and share out of his own heart and his own experiences, and I know you will instantly connect to him and um, know, that, you know that God's message is through him. So, Jeff and Kay, a very warm welcome to Willow Park Church and uh, come and join us.
1: Thanks very much indeed, Phil. Good morning, everybody. It's really uh, great to be with you today and uh, great to remember uh, those days when uh, Phil and I actually worked in youth ministry in, uh, initially back in 1837. <laughs> and um, as is apparent, he had the youth drug, but they'd run out by the time it got to me. But uh, really, really great to have the opportunity to uh, share this uh, weekend with you. I'm excited to be here. Uh, usually, as will happen next Sunday, um, I preach three times on Sunday morning. Can you imagine that? Three times over, uh, the same message, the same outline, the same spontaneous humor. Three times over. Uh, today, I get to do this uh, once this morning, but it's a, a great joy and a privilege to be uh, with you. Uh, you live in a very beautiful part of the world. This is uh, K and I, it's our first time <coughs> here and uh, so grateful to the Lord as I'm speaking about faith in the fog this morning, I'm so grateful to the Lord for providing the special effects in the, uh, <coughs> in the locality, that was uh, really very good of him. Um, Phil mentioned that I write, and there are not many books left. I found out last night that you are a congregation, I'm sure it's true of you on Sunday morning as well, that you're a congregation who are not averse to some fun and laughter. Would that be true? Let's just take a little vote. I mentioned last night that occasionally I go to churches where they're a bit nervous of fun. Um, I normally get to go just the once, and... uh, (laughs) It can feel a little bit like a gathering of the frozen chosen, but I'm glad to say <clears throat> that uh, last night was just really such a joy, talking about some serious stuff, but be able to, to laugh together. Uh, there are three books out there. This book, I was just wondering, short Make You Laugh, Make You Cry, Make You Think uh, pieces. It includes some humor. Uh, Standing on My Knees, which is a book about prayer, and I asked the congregation last evening with various degrees of honesty, how many of you occasionally struggle with prayer? You fall asleep, you drift, you think about what's for tea. Raise your hand. Right. How many of you occasionally lie when you're asked awkward questions? (laughs) Some books about prayer make me feel worse. They're written by someone 400 years before anything was on TV, and they crawl into the bowels of a log for six weeks and pray. I'd be out in half an hour with wood lice all over me. So (laughs) practical stuff. Prayer isn't boring, but we are sometimes in the way that we approach it. And so practical stuff about prayer. And then if you'd like to pursue what I'm talking about today, and I hope you will, Faith in the Fog, this book, which is radically honest. There aren't many books um, left uh, while supplies last. There's a special deal as well if you buy uh, all three, but Faith in the Fog, <clears throat> that book is out there as well for you. If you've got a Bible, I want you to turn with me to John chapter 21, please. John chapter 21, and this wonderful, um, this wonderful episode, this foggy uh, early morning, or so it looks to me, a foggy early morning, a difficult. A difficult night for the disciples after the resurrection of Jesus. And uh, Jesus uh, arrives and cooks breakfast. This is part two of a message that I preached here last night. If you'd like part one of the message, come tonight. Uh, I know that's kind of weird, but I'll be preaching that message again <coughs> tonight. So, uh, John 21. It says, Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, just pause a moment, look at me if you will. Who is the disciple whom Jesus loved? Who who was that? John, generally believed to be John. Okay, who wrote this? John. 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, where, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. And when they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, Take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands. And someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must Follow me. Last night I shared with the congregation there that um, that I am really good at getting lost, ladies and gentlemen. I managed to uh, we managed to find our way from the B and B, lovely B and B where we're staying. We found our way uh, here today without a hitch, which is a minor miracle that we managed to do that. I am lost so much. I actually got lost in a church building once, in the bathroom at a church here. In Canada. I was preaching at a leaders conference in Toronto, about about a thousand leaders there, and I was just about to speak, so I thought I'd just pop out and go to the bathroom, because how many know that preachers have to use the bathroom? You are aware of that, I'm sure. I went to one church, I was in the bathroom, chap came in and recognized me. He said, hello, Jeff. He said, I'm rather surprised to see you in here. I thought, what do you think we do? Pray about it? You know, this is really rather strange. Anyway, I'm in the bathroom and in this particular church building, ladies and gentlemen, they have loudspeakers in the bathroom so that you can hear the service while using the facilities. Very helpful Christian multitasking. And I'm there, I'm there in the bathroom and I'm washing my hands and I suddenly hear the leader of the service announcing that I'm going to go and speak. "Said so Jeff Lucas is going to come up now and speak to us. I'm thinking he's not. He's in the bathroom. So I'm, I'm frantically standing in the worshipful position under the hot air machine. You know the one I'm talking about. And I can hear the fluster in his voice. Jeff, where, where's Jeff? Come up and speak now. And, and I'm thinking, I, I need to get out of here. So I went to push the door to get out, and the door would not open. So now I'm panicking, and he's panicking. I can hear it through the loudspeaker, and I, I push the door. I, I put my shoulder to the door. I kicked the door. This was a high-powered, charismatic conference, so I rebuked the door. (laughs) And it would not open. And then I got my bearings, looked around, and realized that I'd got turned around in the bathroom, and I'd actually spent five minutes trying to break into the broom cupboard. Thirty seconds later, breathlessly, I ran up onto the platform to address the subject, what God is doing around the earth. I thought, well, how do I know? I can't even get out of the bathroom. This is, this is really ridiculous. I spend quite a lot of my life feeling disorientated, a bit bewildered, a bit lost. I suggest to you that's exactly how these disciples felt. Because, you see, the resurrection had not just sorted everything out and clarified everything for them. It had created its own fog. There was a sense in which they were hit by an emotional and theological tsunami. And they're they're desperately trying to find their way forward and, and make sense of it all. Some of the descriptors in the New Testament. Uh, Phrases that are used to describe the emotional state of the disciples after the resurrection capture the sense of fog that they were in. Let me share them with you. Some of them, they were startled, they were frightened, they thought they'd seen a ghost, they were troubled, they were doubting, they needed to have their minds opened to understand. They were afraid, yet filled with joy. They worshipped, but some doubted. They were trembling, bewildered, and afraid. They gathered fearfully behind locked doors. They did not believe. They stubbornly refused to believe. And there is Peter. And Peter, as we know, has let Jesus down, despite his protest that if everybody else would deny he never would. That protest lasted about twenty-four hours or even less. And all that we know is that Peter has had one private meeting with Jesus. We know it happened on Easter Day, nothing else is shared with us. And now these disciples are are out fishing. They've been told to go to Galilee. It's been a week since they've seen Jesus. And I'd like to suggest to us. That it's possible that even though they've been told to go to Galilee, they probably didn't expect to see Jesus that morning. How many know that when you're fed up and weary and exhausted, and even that which you think you're good at, you've messed up? How many know that you don't really expect to bump into Jesus then? They're 68 miles from Jerusalem, where they first saw or where they last saw him. But not only that, there's a theological gap as well because these are good Jewish boys and their expectation would be that Messiah would center his activities on Jerusalem, not now back in the backwaters of Galilee. It's an unusual time as well. In Galilee, you'd go fishing at night You'd sell the catch in the morning. And John, in his gospel, he doesn't just give us the chronology of the event, but he uses light and darkness like a, an artist with a color palette to not only give us the timing, but also set the mood for us. The mood is dark. The mood is, is somber. And then Jesus arrives, and the incredible thing is that it's also ordinary, If I'd have been given responsibility for the choreography of the resurrection, it would have been really different from this. I'd have had 64,000 angels in fluorescent yellow Doc Martins tap dancing on the beach. I'd have had navy jets flying overhead with He is risen in red, yellow and blue smoke. I would have had the London Philharmonic Orchestra and a fabulous choir singing the Hallelujah Chorus prophetically because it hadn't been written at that point but I would have I, I would have had flash I would have had Steven Spielberg on steroids but instead Jesus comes quietly so quietly they don't even notice that it's him and he comes and he helps them last night I mentioned that 20 years ago I spent a year in the fog I spent a year in clinical depression, and I felt bad. And not only did I feel bad, but I felt bad because I felt bad. I felt an irrational sense of shame. I'm not supposed to feel like this. I'm I'm supposed to wake up in the morning, do a triple backflip out of bed, catching my tambourine as I fly through the air. I am victorious. I am a Christian. I'm not supposed to feel bad. We used to sing songs years ago that made me feel worse, suggesting that we're all supposed to live on the edge of ecstasy all the time. I am H-A-P-P-Y. I am H-A-P-P-Y. I know I am. I'm sure I am. I am H-A-P-P-Y. Gloriously theological words. It isn't, another great classic was, it isn't any trouble just to SMILE. No, it isn't any trouble just to SMILE. If you pack up all your troubles, then they'll vanish like a bubble if you only take the trouble just to SMILE. It's enough to make you V O M I T. <laughs> you see, real life isn't like that. Real life isn't like that for anybody. And here are these disciples, what does Jesus do? Can I just tell you that in the next few minutes, I am not going to, in the second part of this message, I am not going to give you five ways to break out of the fog right now. Because that sort of stuff makes me more depressed. Is it okay to say that? I know we've only just met, but let's just tell the truth. But I do believe that God's Word and God's Spirit can plant a seed in our hearts that can help us navigate through the fog and see better days. What does Jesus do? Would you notice, first of all, that Jesus has a very balanced view of spiritual warfare? Let me explain that. Jesus was aware that Peter, specifically, and his friends, generally, were targets for Satan. Satan. He was aware of that and he prophesied over Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. How many believe in this church in the prophetic? Do we believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit and in the prophetic? We believe that God can speak prophetically. Are you like me? If someone prophesies over me, I like a nice one personally. (laughs) And I also like one that I can understand. Anyone ever had prophecies? And you think, what? Someone comes to you, they say, I've got a picture of a yellow jellyfish who is tap dancing on a tin of baked beans, whistling, I'm a Yankee doodle dandy. And then they look into your eyes and say, does that mean anything to you? And you think, yes, get help immediately. I love the prophetic, but prophecies tend to be nice. Jesus prophesies over Peter that he will be sifted like wheat. Jesus is aware of this this conflict in the heavenlies, the fact that there is warfare going on. But now he doesn't say to Peter, Come over here onto the beach so I can deliver you. He cooks him breakfast. You see, we need to have an awareness of spiritual warfare. That's not in any way to suggest that all depression is rooted in spiritual warfare. But ladies and gentlemen, C.S. Lewis taught that we can either become obsessed with the devil or we can ignore his existence, and either extreme is dangerous. I've spent too long in the pendulum swing, because we're all pendulums. We think we're balanced, but we're all in reaction to something, And I've spent too long almost being oblivious to spiritual warfare because I didn't want to be one of those Christians who blame Satan for everything. You ever met them? There's a continuous assault against them seven days a week or so it seems. I was at one church in England. They had a rather pushy worship leader. By the way, your worship team this weekend have done a fantastic job, have they not? Have they not? Beautiful. And you know what I, I, I love about, about Curtis and, and others in the worship team? They've exhorted us to worship, but they haven't, they haven't grabbed us by the throat and said, you've got to do this. You ever been in services like that where the worship leader stands up and says, raise your hands, Everyone raise your hands. Clap, clap, clap dance. Because we're free in the spirit here. church in England or a rather large brother leading worship, and he was getting a bit pushy and demanded that everyone raise their hands. Everyone raised their hands, and as he raised his hands, his belt buckle gloriously exploded. (laughs) And his trousers fell down. (laughs) Revealing a voluminous pair of boxer shorts, apparently made by Mr. Walt Disney. And it was kind of weird because Mickey and Minnie were running all over the place with their hands raised as well. It was kind of (laughs) spooky. He leaned down and pulled up his trousers and then breathlessly said into the microphone, it's amazing what Satan will do when you're trying to lead worship. I don't want to get into that silliness. His belt broke. But we need to have a balanced view. There's spiritual warfare in the prophetic. There's practical supply and wisdom in the breakfast. There's a balanced view here. Secondly, there's an opportunity here for Peter to reestablish his priorities. Uh, Have you ever noticed how much talk there is in this episode about fish? Peter says, I'm going fishing. The other boys say, We'll go with you. We are told they caught nothing. And then Jesus shows up and asks for a fishing update. They say, We haven't caught anything. He gives them some fishing directions. They follow the directions. We are told where they fish. We are told how many fish they catch. There's a lot of talk about fish, and then it's time for breakfast. Guess what's on the menu? Fish. And I, I don't—I'm not being irreverent here. I think Jesus either went fishing or shopping that morning. I don't think he—I don't think he stood by the Sea of Galilee and just said, "Tilapia, come forth." <laughs> may have done I suppose but he's providing them with fish and then he says Peter do you love me more than these these what the Greek is unclear in the text and the standard approach to this is that uh, Jesus was saying do you love me more than these other disciples love me but Peter had already tried that one remember It's just a question. It's just a question. Is it possible, ladies and gentlemen, as some commentators now believe, that Jesus was saying to Peter, do you love me more than you love fishing? Fish. Think about it. Fishing represented Peter's everyday existence. Fishing meant security, predictability. Fisherman Peter wouldn't have to worry about church doctrine or prison or martyrdom. He'd just get up in the morning, go fishing, come home, nothing on TV for a couple of thousand years. So another early night, get up the next day, go fishing. Easy, simple. I could be tempted by that, just a. Just a simple life. There are sometimes, ladies and gentlemen, I don't want a purpose-driven life. Sometimes I don't want purpose and I don't want driven, I just want a life. But I was about tempted to say, I just want to go play golf, but that would be a lie. I'm so rubbish at golf, I don't have a swing, I have a spasm, it's really pathetic. Sometimes I just want a life. I don't want to worry about the world's hungry or the terrible evil that's breaking out. In the world. I just want to just settle into survival. But you see, if you've been kissed by a vision of the kingdom of God, that's never going to work for you ever again. You're gloriously messed up now. It's wonderful and occasionally irritating. Have you noticed that someone counted the fish? What kind of saddo... Is sitting on the beach with the risen Jesus right there. And someone's going, 148, 149, 150, 150 153. Write that down. Speculation from the commentators about why there were 153 fish. One commentator says, 153 fish, a fish for every different kind of species of fish in the Sea of Galilee doesn't work for me. 153 fish, says another commentator, one fish for every tribe and nation in the ancient world. At that time, the fish are a missiological statement. Another one says 153. I'm not making this up. He says 153, a triangular number that would have impressed ancient Pythagorean philosophers. That is really Monty Python, isn't it? As if Jesus said, I know what I'll do, I'll give them 153 fish, for this will impress ancient Pythagorean philosophers. (laughs) I believe that right here, in Willow Park today, I can, after thousands of years of speculation, reveal unto you the reason why it says 153. Are you ready for the revelation? Hold on to something solid. It is because... That's how many they caught. (laughs) I know, I know. It's deep, isn't it? Is it possible that they caught the catch of their lives so that they would know that the catch of their lives would never be enough? There are times, ladies and gentlemen, when we're in the fog and we're tempted to run. And we need once again, whatever the mood and whatever the circumstances, to say, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And then there's a resolution of regrets here. Have you noticed that Peter and John are in the boat and they don't know that it's Jesus? Peter always takes action in the New Testament before John, and John always understands before Peter. It's just the way it works. So John typically says, it is the Lord, splash. <laughs> Where'd he go? Classic Peter, the moment he knows it's Jesus, he's out of the boat. Coat on, bit weird, before going for a swim. Dashes up the beach. There's a fire there. When's the last time you see a fire in John's gospel prior to this incident? It's when Peter was denying jesus by the fire peter enthusiast that he is runs up the beach oh there's a fire the same greek word is used in both passages what's jesus doing is jesus tormenting peter with his failure i don't think so i believe brothers and sisters that jesus is locating himself in peter's story And he is enabling this man to sit down by the fire and express love for him once again. You see, shame silences our worship. Shame smothers us with sadness and can be a source of depression. But the fire, what happens here, I suggest, is that the fire enables Peter to say, yes, It happened. And I love you. You see, the forgiveness of God doesn't minimize or pretend that what we're ashamed of didn't happen. The forgiveness of God doesn't say it's not important. The forgiveness of God enables us to sit at the reality of the fireside of our shame to look at it and then be able to say, I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. And brothers and sisters, I've met too many Christians for whom the good news has not been so good. Why don't we start believing that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You say, I don't feel forgiven. What's forgiveness supposed to feel like? Do you feel that Jesus died on the cross? I don't know what that's supposed to feel like. If we're going to believe the truth, let's believe the whole truth, including the glorious good news. Let's sit by the fire and let him lift our shame. And then something Quite fascinating to me happens because Peter is told that he is going to die a martyr's death. Can you imagine what that must have felt like? You're going to live on prophetic death row for the rest of your life. I, I, I don't know how Peter coped initially with that news. Jesus and Peter by now are having a little stroll on the beach, and John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, showed up. I used to be irritated with John. I thought, did he have a badge, you know? He loves me more than you. I used to be irritated with John. I am no longer. I'm sure he's greatly relieved, I think. I think that John decided that he didn't need to tell us his name, that the most important truth we needed to know about him was the fact that Jesus loved him. That's really all that mattered. You've just been given this prophetic word that you're going to die a martyr's death. It's natural, isn't it? You say, well, "Well, okay, but what about him? Have you got a cracker for him?" As it says in the original Greek. It doesn't. Say, some of you are writing that down. I was just kidding. What have you got? What about him? And what does Jesus say? Jesus does not say. Well, actually, Peter, John is going to be exiled to Patmos and they going to have a very difficult time, and then they're going to try and boil him alive, but he will survive. So it's sort of, sort of equal. He says, what's that to you? Follow me. Do you know, ladies and gentlemen, sometimes we need to mind our own business. Sometimes we Christians get all uptight about things that don't really matter, and we think that God is uptight about those things too, because we live in a consumer culture. You've got Starbucks here now, haven't you? In Canada, when, last time I came, it was Tim Hortons, and it's still Tim's still everywhere. Starbucks. Did you know that if you go into Starbucks, do you know how many different possibilities for a coffee order that there are? Does anyone remember the good old days when you could just walk into a coffee shop and say, "Hello, can i have a cup of coffee." Now I get myself into a nervous fit. <laughs> I have to pause for breath halfway through my wife's order. It is so lengthy. Did you know how many different possible concoctions there are in Starbucks today? Because someone counted them. There are over 87,000. Some saddo counted them, probably (laughs) distantly related to another saddo who sat on the beach with a bunch of fish. You know what that means? means if we're not careful, we can turn church into a consumer product that we want to be like we want it to be. They didn't sing my song this morning. They didn't use the version of the Bible that I like. Someone was sitting in my seat, my pew, the one that Jesus gave me. You know, Phil, here's an idea. You know, as people come in here, uh, you could have the greeters out there, lovely greeters like you do, ushers. They could say, welcome to Willow Park. Would you like to sit in clapping or non-clapping? <laughs> say, oh, But a bit of a rough week. Can I sit in non-clapping, non-smiling, non-singing in the worship, non-listening to the sermon, non-giving in the offering, and non-participating in the service in any way whatsoever? Can I sit there? Oh, I'm sorry, that section's always very full. I'm afraid we can't. <laughs> just kidding just kidding sometimes ladies and gentlemen whether it's in the simplicity of consumerist details about church and by the way if you want to find something to get irritated about join a church plenty of scope if you've been part of this church for more than six months and nothing's irritated you yet you're probably clinically dead Just the way it is. I mean, look around. Look who they allow to come. Look who they allow to preach. We're humans in the process. But Jesus says to Peter, What's that to you? Follow me. Well, the last thing in conclusion, Phil, I don't know whether you ever say that to the congregation when you're preaching. We preachers often say that, don't we? We say, And now, in conclusion. We do that to give. To, Really, just to give you hope. That's the the whole thing. (laughs) The last thing is that Peter's given the opportunity to give God, to give Jesus his now, this moment. See, Peter had walked on water in this vicinity. And now he has to walk through water to get to Jesus. Anyone here... Anyone here ever walked on water? Anyone? You live in such a beautiful place, lovely lake, 100 miles long. Anyone, anyone ever walked on water? Just think back over your week. Come on, be ever so honest. I know we've only just met. How many of us have ever tried to walk on water? Raise your hand if you have. There are I've tried. I was staying at a hotel once. The swimming pool was deserted. I thought, I'm going to give it a go I put my swimming togs on because faith without works is dead (laughs) put my foot on the water and I sank I've never walked on water but I tell you what it looks like a lot of fun if Jesus said to me multiple choice question walking on water walking through water check one pick one now i'd go for i'd go for gliding across the waves that looks fantastic some of us spiritually emotionally have walked on water historically We've known the clear clear blue skies of an open heaven. Our prayers being answered. We felt blessed. But now some of us are not on the water. We're wading through it. It's up to our hips. It threatens to sweep us away. Very simply, my brothers and sisters, there are times in your life when you walk on it There are times in your life when you walk through it. The important thing is that on it or through it, you say, I want to be with Jesus. I want to push through. I want to know his strength. And Jesus says to Peter, after the prophetic update, follow me. Became a Christian at 17. Now I'm 58, look older, had a rough life. The question is now, for me, for you. As our musicians come back, in a moment we're gonna sing. The question remains. In the fog, in the sunshine. Follow me. Let's pray together. Father, we bless you and thank you today because your word includes this beautiful episode, this description of the resurrected Jesus. Who had just beaten the powers of death and hell, but now he's cooking breakfast for his friends. The very picture of it is a revelation of your heart towards us when we find ourselves empty handed, when we find ourselves laboring through the fog. We thank you for grace that reached out to peter that day and we thank you too for grace that is here for us we pray lord that you will help us help us to focus to to know that which is not our business that we don't have to be preoccupied with help us to sit by firesides of forgiveness I pray that some of us today will leave this place lighter than when we came in because we have checked in some baggage with you. Thank you too for this opportunity to huddle together, to recalibrate our hearts and say, whatever the weather, we want to follow you. Whatever the season, we want to follow you. So be with us now, Lord, as we just take some further moments to pray. In Jesus' name.